Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Well, you got a lot to cover in this episode, Robbie. It's early signing period, the bowl preview, tons of other stuff. Uh, why don't you give us a cheers and kick it off? Well, for better or for worse, there's two sides of, of way, the way people look at the early signing period. Kids that are really committed uh, get a chance to get people off their back, stop taking calls, and really get uh, committed to their school, can move on with things. And there's another camp that thinks it's going to force decisions on um, on a lot of players. I was surprised in its first year just how the number, the sheer number of people that committed early, which lends itself to a little bit of concern on that latter point, which is are kids going to be kind of forced to make an earlier decision and not be able to have as much time? But, you know, it's a it's a new realm of college football, very reminiscent that we see in college basketball, having an early signing period. So, right. but it's always new to have something to shake up. It gives us something to talk about now. I like having more to talk about in uh, in February, but in any case, how about cheers to a new age of college football with the early signing period and all the kids that committed today to Virginia Tech. Cheers, man. Whenever college athletics changes a rule like that, there's always unforeseen issues that come up. For me, the biggest one is the fact that the coaches are literally getting run ragged through the beginning of December. And if you had gone through a coaching change at the end of November because you had a bad season, I mean, that coach has to get to campus, meet the team, start recruiting, sign a class all before Christmas. And he might have a bowl at some point before Christmas as well. It's it's nuts. Well, what if you were the coach or, or what if you're the administration that wanted to let your coach finish off his bowl game? Now, right. now, what are you doing? You're signing up a bunch of players and then firing your head coach a few weeks later. It's it's dangerous. It's, you know, it's scary, but I think they'll figure it out over time. Uh, the timing of it is very, very suspect. And it's a little bit different than college basketball because it's so close to the bowl games. There's some administrations that want to let a coach finish off the year with his players, but they're still going to make a change. I know that's Mm -hmm. become less the case recently. People are a little bit more cutthroat and you've seen that in the coaching change this year, but it's a valid point. And if administration wanted to do that, I would encourage them to, and it could actually backfire for the students. Yeah. You have Scott Frost going to coach UCF through their bowl game and Nebraska just hired him. I'm sure they want him on the recruiting trail and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're, they're going to build it back up. So there's time, but it's just an interesting change. And uh, it just puts so much pressure on those coaches right at the end of the season for us, the timing of it with the bowl being just a little bit later, you know, Fuente can get this class signed. He worked his butt off through February. If you're on social media at all, you could see how many guys he was visiting with Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles and all the guys, all the coaches. And now he has a week to prepare after National Signing Day. So that's kind of nice. Just one last point on that that most people haven't talked about, about an, uh, uh, probably an un, a, a consequence that could happen is you could see more coaching consistency because administrations don't want people going out the door. That's true. So the coaching changes and the carousel has gotten so outrageous. I mean, teams that have nine and three seasons and then they're getting rid of their coach, whatever. If the administration wants to get rid of them, you might actually see people trying to embed some more continuity in their coaching staffs in order to avoid problems for the early signing day. 
potentially, but I would still think that tomorrow, the day after this day, we'll see a lot of various assistants across the country switching jobs and leaving schools and that kind of thing. All right, let's hop into the rest of the news and notes. Let's start with the Kentucky game because I went to the game. We did our whole preview last week on the podcast, and I appreciate you letting me run with that idea a little bit. Uh, we had so, we had a lot of fun at Downtown Crown uh, with Mike and Richard, and it was a silly episode. It was a long episode. If you listened, God bless you. Uh, but there's some funny stuff in there, and it was, hopefully it was entertaining. Virginia Tech lost the game, unfortunately. They played tough and had a six-point lead at the half. I thought they were going to pull the upset, but we lost 93-86. to Our guys played great, though. A lot of them played really well. It's just we turned the ball over too much. Yeah, it was, it was, I thought they played great. They also played sloppy at a lot of times. And mm-hmm. some of that and a fair amount of that was uh, forced on us by Kentucky and the way they played the press and the way they put pressure on our guys, making them uh, honestly making some stupid decisions with the ball, some passing that was just really bad. Um, but they played hard. And, you know, there were a couple standouts in, in that game, whether it's J Rob or, or otherwise, um, you know. And it, Blackshear, Clark. Yeah, Blackshear was like a ballerina in the lane on some of those plays. Yeah, but they played hard. You can't argue against that all the way to the, all the way to the end. They did. Hill hit so many shots and Clark all around. Great game by him. And and it wasn't just one guy that turned it over too much. They all turned it over. And Diallo hit those three huge threes down the stretch for Kentucky that's not something he was doing throughout the year. And, um, you know, it, it just, they just got us. And yeah. I, I was listening to Tech Talk Live. Buzz was upset about the loss. You could tell he felt like we should have won and we let it slip away. Yeah. And he said after the game, he wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, you turn it over 19 times, which led to 36 Kentucky points. Mm-hmm. Um, they go 11 for 22 from three when they're shooting like, a third from three point or thirty seven percent, which was mm-hmm. that was just crazy. A lot of things happened in that game, and then if if we control those two things, if if they sh- you know don't knock down you know just two of those to bring their shooting percentage even close to where it's been on the year, and then we don't turn the ball over just two other times, we probably get the W there, which is incredible. The, to I think know. how close it was and how sloppy the turnover game was for us. And how big of a win it would have been. And the funny thing was, being there, the Kentucky fans were not ready to lose that game. When we were up at the half, I was sitting pretty up high, although the seats were still pretty good. Uh, they they were kind of at a loss. And they came back and they won. And then after the game, it was almost like, oh, yeah, you, you did good. At least you tried. It's like, we just nearly beat you in your home arena, and you are the bluest blood program in college basketball. They were slightly dismissive, but I will say the fans were very nice uh, to me, and I was wearing tech gear all day. Me, Mike, and Richard had a great time. A lot of of beers got drank last weekend, that's for sure. But that Presbyterian game was good, though. I hope you watched that last night. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even watch it. I just followed it on Twitter. Thankfully, I didn't watch it because I probably want to pull my eyes out. It was just... I watched a good amount of it. It, You're lucky. Count yourself lucky. I just... I I couldn't understand... First of all, we had... The only reason we were in it is because at one point we had a 7-0 run, and then we had an 8-0 run, and without those two series in the game, 
I mean, we quite we could have easily taken taken a loss in there. And another game with a bunch of turnovers, uh, which are is really starting to plague us in a in a lot of ways. So, I mean, Presbyterian. They're not a great program, you know. You could no, say we were coming bad. off. Yeah, you could say we were coming off of a hangover after that uh, Kentucky game, but I still don't think that excuses the way that thing went down. Yeah, it was just the proximity to the Kentucky game. I mean, you play Saturday, you play Tuesday. It shouldn't have gone the way it did. We got the win, but yeah, if you want to look at Ken Palm or RPI or whatever, Presby is not a good team. So they dra- they took our uh, strength of schedule back down again. Kentucky had brought it up a little bit. It is currently at 340 out of 351 teams, our strength of schedule. Thank God we have a tough ACC slate or we would be really screwed. I mean, we're going to have to go 10-8 and in ACC play if we want to have any shot at making the tournament. Yeah. I mean, I think hopefully people were paying attention to that Kentucky game and you don't get too many credits for a loss, but... Uh, we were up at, at at half, and I think most people recognize without the turnovers, that would have been a close game. But yeah, it's going to be challenging. And uh, I think even Presbyterian schemed against us in, in a lot of ways, seeing what was happening in Kentucky. And people are starting to get our number a little bit on the way they're going to play against us. And if you think the ACC teams aren't paying attention to that, well, you know, we might be in for a rude awakening. I'm still excited for ACC play because I think with just what we saw in the Kentucky game, we're probably going to have eight of those types of games that could go either way in ACC play, and we need to get at least half of them. And I think very easily that Kentucky game could have gone the other way. So I'm, I'm thinking we're going to see that a lot. And there's going to be some frustrating games, and there's going to be some some really good wins, hopefully. Let's get back to football. Early signing period. I want to talk about the class that we just signed. And you were saying how many players signed and how shocking it was. All but two of our guys are signed right now. I I think Cam Good and James Graham are the only commits that haven't signed yet. That's 23 or 24 guys that signed today to Virginia Tech. I mean, that is incredible. It takes so many players off the table for the February date. And, and one of the issues that will come up is now some of those lower recruits, like the high-end threes or mid-tier three stars, they're going to be the most sought-after commodities come you know early February. Yeah, and Graham's a good player. I mean, he's a four-star. You know, he's he's ranked nationally in you know around three hundred and fifty or so. So I mean, that's still a big swing factor right there. And Cam Good, people are pretty high on as well. So there's there's a couple more. Ch- we got Dax sitting out there, right. uh, but overall. You know, this is look at look at our recruits right now and what happened, and then go look at Michigan State. A lot of people talk about how Virginia Tech recruits and the way that Michigan State recruits. Michigan State had twenty two people come to that signed today. The exact same thing. This is what a lot of people talked about could happen with this early signing period. Is programs like Virginia Tech that are like Michigan State, that have the types of guys that they want and they know, and they're not chasing five stars that are going to make their decision in February. Hell, I mean, look at us. We're not chasing that many four stars that are going to be making decisions in February. The t- the teams that kind of know the players that they want to go after um, and are willing to sacrifice 
stars and, and timing and, and putting in more time for just getting the guys that they want are going to get big signee lists. And it was very interesting when I was listening to the radio and I heard about Michigan State and I went and looked them up because people always compare our recruiting very similar to theirs, which it's not necessarily top end, but it's very good athletes and it's the people that fit their system. Yeah, I thought the last few pickups we made right before signing day, the last weekend, James Mitchell, Jeremy Webb, and Culver were arguably the three biggest recruits in the class. I mean, obviously you got Patterson and you got Trey Turner and Daryl Simmons. There's, I mean, eight, nine, four stars, depending on what service you want to look at. But that Jeremy Webb pickup at corner, Juco guy, he's going to play right away. Might be you know standing across from Adonis starting next year at corner. So that was a huge pickup. And Culver, you can never have enough good offensive linemen. I think he's a four on at least one service. So big pickups just the last weekend right before signing day. And you're absolutely right. Like this early period suits Virginia Tech and schools like Michigan State and maybe schools on the come up like Iowa State like best because now we don't have Penn State and Florida State coming in for these four stars and trying to flip them when their coaches have more time. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they miss the five star, so then they go down one rung and they get the next kind of best guy, and then they're flipping somebody against us, whereas we're showing full commitment to putting them on the roster. It's absolutely perfect for a school like Virginia Tech, and I don't, you know, there's a lot of people out there clamoring for us to get five stars and even more four stars. You know, okay, I'm glad you're hopeful for that, but I think that, what we're doing right now has has done well for us in the past and will continue to do well for us in the future because I have a lot of confidence in the way that um, you know this this coaching staff evaluates talent, not just evaluates what star they are. So it's 17th on the 247 composite, 15th in their in-house rankings, 14th on rivals, and 14th on ESPN. So a top 20 class with the ability to be a top 15 class class across the board if we pick up a guy like Dax Hollifield, Javante John Baptiste at defensive end, the running back Anthony Grant, I think we're still working on. Um the current he's a Tennessee commit as of right now. But if you pick one or two guys up in January, you know, this this could be a consensus top 15 class and that's a step up from last year and hopefully it just continues on that trajectory. Top 15 is where that is a good year for us. That's right. where we should be playing. Uh, right now, I know we've had coming off of a 10-win season, we got you know, potentially 9-10 win season, but let's be honest, there's a lot of good schools on that list. <laughs> the yeah. top the top 8 of that list, I mean you go through Georgia, Clemson, you look at those people, they are recruiting Ohio State, you know, had their quarterback flip at the last minute, lost out on another quarterback and they still are like number 3 in the nation. It there's just when you get to that level, those schools are recruiting on such a higher level that if we get right around 15, that's that's what we need to be successful. Um, and then you hope it builds off of itself. Clemson has not always recruited at the level they are and not even close to the level that they are. They have, have built it over time, and they also built it with success. Yeah, I put out a couple of tweets just in how Fuente's rise will hopefully parallel Dabo and Clemson's rise. If we're top 15 and stay there, that's okay. If we can move up a few more notches and maybe get on the fringe of that top 10 over time, even better. 
because Clemson started from where we are right now. So, all right. VT Athletics received a $15 million donation from an anonymous donor couple. Apparently, Witt's been working on this, and they've got all this money now to build an athlete's performance center on campus. And I'm I'm so stoked about this, man. This was huge news on Monday. Well, and that Fuente, which I thought was interesting, was really tied into it happening too, which that caught me out of left field. I I knew I figured obviously Witt's got his paws all over this, but um Fuente evidently built up a pretty good relationship from the news that I saw. Um our biggest well Technically, I think it's our second biggest donation because I think the same couple made our, the biggest donation <laughs> to, to I think it was a building project or something along those lines. So they've made something like 30 plus million dollars donations within one calendar year um, if, if you know everybody can tie it together because it is anonymous. Huge donation, huge for the programs, can be huge for all athletes. Uh, the facility, not just the football program. It's going to be good for the recruiting program, nutrition's excited about it. Um, it's going to have tons of space for the athletes. It's going to have kind of the walkway um, between, uh, I think it's going to run right into, I think from Castle, right? And, and it's, yeah, it's be- the old Bowman room. Like it's, it's one of the upper floors of a current center that's already there. So yeah, but they're expanding the heck out of it. It's going to be huge. So, um, and it covers, you know, I think 16 million, 16 and a half is what it's going to cost. And they gave 15 two. So somehow we have to come up with another million three. Yeah. Witt said they have all the money on hand to start immediately. And they're going to, they're going to fire through this construction. It's going to be ready some point in 2019. If you got the money, get it done as fast as possible. I mean, that you know that Witt's going to do that yeah. because there's no reason to, if you don't have, usually the money is the reason that you're slowing it down a little bit. If you don't need that, then get it done. This is the type of donation the big programs get. I wouldn't say on a regular basis, but on a more frequent basis. So this is great, man. This is what we need. Cash injections into the program. That's another thing that Clemson got a lot of. Yeah. So I'm going to tie it back to just donations in general. And we completely and utterly avoid anything in any way politics on this. But the tax changes that just came into place... Um, are relevant just for people that support the program, like me, when I do my donations and things like that. So guess what? I'm going to let everybody you know, in on this. There's usually the 80% write-off that you get, or deduction, I should say. It's not a write-off. Deduction that you get associated with the scholarship donation portion now under our new system. Not the ticket purchase, but the scholarship portion. That's going away in 2018. One, it's you know, going to have a severe impact, I think, on a lot of, uh, you know, colleges and universities. But more importantly, if you get your donation in 2000 and by December 31, 2017, you'll still get that tax deduction. If that's something that's important to you, great. If it's not, then great. doesn't really matter. Um, just so people are aware, you kind of got uh, 10, 11 days to get your donation in and make sure that you get a tax deduction in 2018. If that's something that you care about, it's pretty important. And not only that, a lot of the big time universities with big time donors um, to tie into a $15.2 million donation that we just got are having people do forward donations. So if you just got one of the recent packages, it says, 
if you'd like this to be applied to future donations, you know, please note that in, in your donation this year. Look into that, you know, go seek your tax advisor, whatever you got to do, because um, some schools, and we don't do taxes on here, are telling people to make a two or three year donation now, get the deduction before it goes away, and then get the benefit of it the next few years because you made a big donation this year. So it's important um, for some people out there and just wanted to throw it because it's a huge change on one of the big incentives that you would see all over Virginia Tech's materials about season ticket donors. And it's something to keep in mind that ramification of it in 2018, 19, 20, et cetera, for colleges, universities, and Virginia Tech remains to be seen, but it could be it could be meaningful, especially when we're trending so far in the right direction right now with donations. Yeah, it's going to be hitting programs all across the country. Uh, and it, I don't want to talk taxes for too much more, but it is important. And it no. does affect a lot of money that comes into the program. So it's definitely something to think about. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the tax bill that just went through and that announcement on Monday, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they're they're somewhat related. Hey, I'm, I'm going to donate no matter what, but uh, it's meaningful to people. And I just hope, I hope everybody just keeps donating regardless, but it's important and keep it in mind. And also people, if you want to try and get your benefit in um, financially, yeah, just make sure you're paying attention to what's happening. All right, back to the field. Bad news for the upcoming bowl game. We heard Cam Phillips is having sports hernia surgery and will miss the game. This is such a bummer. He's the all-time leading receiver in Virginia Tech history in both yards and receptions. He had such a good season. I wanted him to get to 1,000. He's never gotten to 1,000 in an individual year. This was going to be his year. He was going to get to it in this game. He only needs you know, 30-something yards. Uh He's not going to do it. He's going to get himself healthy and get ready for the NFL, and that's a smart move. But I got to say, coming on the heels of the Trayvon McMillan transfer, we just lost two of our most dangerous players on offense, probably the two most dangerous players on offense, going into a game in which we'll need offense. It's not good. Yeah, and I feel bad for him. I mean, I imagine he would have loved to finish off the season with everything he's done for the program. I mean, for being a starter, he's been a four-year starter, you know, since coming on campus, which is just incredible to think that he's been here that long and starting uh, as a freshman. And it sucks that way. It's completely dangerous for what we're about to see in the game that we have um, upcoming because he is so talented and even when during this points in the season where his stats were kind of lingering or down during a game, he's still distracting one of the two, usually the best, you know, cornerback on the field with his attention, plus a safety, probably watching him on the back end. And just that distraction alone opened up other people on the field. So even when his stats were down, he's so good that, he was causing problems in other ways and opening up other people in the field. And now it makes it a little bit more clear as to why his stats may have been down. Because I think he's been playing with this sports hernia for quite a while, which, man, if I didn't already love Cam Phillips, I, I love him even more now. Because I think this happened in the ODU game. I went back and listened to our podcast, and I said to you, I was like, I think I saw Cam grabbing his groin when he was running back to the sidelines a couple times in that game. And he fell weird at one point. And 
lo and behold, he has a sports hernia. Now, it might have not happened that game, but I'm kind of thinking it did because right after that was BC. And yes, he had the foot too, but I I don't think it, you know, he le- leaves the BC game after a couple plays and then his stats and his performance the next few weeks kind of dipped. So I think he's had this for a while and I, I I'm, I'm proud of him for st- sticking it out. If he if it was that early in the season, I mean that's incredible. If it was that early, then him sticking it out that is not um, that's not a comfortable pain to be in in, in any in any regard. Never mind being on a football field. Um, and I, he made the right decision, quite fair. And if if nothing else, I mean, if he did it a few games earlier or even earlier than this, if it went far that far back, I would have encouraged him because now it's he gave four solid years to the program it's time for him to move on and and start his next his next part of his journey so we also have Terrell Edmonds and Mahota already out for the bowl in addition to Cam Phillips and Trayvon's transfer and there's other injury questions too and is Josh Neisman going to play in this bowl game uh, he's been out for a while and I didn't know if that was a season-ending thing they never said it was so maybe he'll be back Savoy didn't play against UVA is he fully healthy and back Joey Sly, Stephen Peoples, he's been battling things all year. Holston, I thought he was hurt in that UVA game. Then I heard that he might be fine. So I I just got a lot of injury questions. Hewitt, Mook, Adonis, you know, these they've had a lot of guys that have been nicked up throughout the year. And we just got the report on Cam. I'm interested to see what the injury report looks like for the Camping World Bowl in a couple of days here. Yeah, it will be... Uh, it's a crapshoot. I don't know if we're going to have any idea what's going to be on there. I don't know how much we're going to be, you know, pointing out that people are actually not going to be playing or just putting everybody on the questionable or uh, yeah. list because we got enough uphill battle to face in this Oklahoma State game to to fill a bucket. So uh, I'm not sure that we want to tip our hand anymore, especially since a lot of people, you know, seriously, a lot of kind of big names, media names have actually been looking at this bowl thinking that it could be because Oklahoma state is not that pumped up for it. It could be a statement win for Virginia tech. I mean, if they come out and we'll get into the game, this could be a, this could be a big game for us and not so big of a game for them. I completely agree. And if we're going to win, we need Steven peoples and Sean Savoy <laughs> that with, with there's no cam Phillips because cam had some important catches in that UVA game. Savoy wasn't there. We need Savoy for this, and we need Peoples because him injected back into the running game seemed to make a difference. Yeah. All right, let's take a beer break before we get into the bowl preview. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking the uh, Errant uh, IPA. It's from Pale Fire Brewing Company, which is uh, down in Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, which is relevant to... JMU, which is about to play in their uh, their FCS national championship. I, I have a bunch of friends from uh, JMU, um, and it's actually really good. I never expected, for whatever reason, to see a brewery pop up in Harrisonburg, but I did, and it's actually delicious. I've had it. Uh, it was on draft at a few bars uh, right around uh, me, and I went over, popped over, had it, didn't expect much to get out of it, especially where it was from and not being known for any decent uh, breweries over there, but it's actually delicious. And it's even better on tap if you can find it, but it's the Pale Fire uh, IPA, and it's good beer. 
I like that can artwork too. I am having the Bell's Christmas Ale. I'm going with a couple Christmas beers tonight since we're getting darn close. It's getting stressful, spending a lot of money. So I'm going to drink these Christmas ales. I love a good Christmas beer, you know, nutmeg and clove and spices all in there, cinnamon. Uh, I'm This one is a scotch ale, so it's a little bit not as flavorful. It's very dark, uh, but it's good. I've had the Bell's Christmas ale several times, and a good dark beer this time of year is fantastic, whether it's a stout, a porter, or in this case, uh, a scotch ale. And I, we had some of that dark Belgian last week. Those are the best kind of beers to be drinking this time of year. And so I would definitely recommend the, the Bell's Christmas. I've had the Chiflet Christmas. Uh, I've got another Anchor Christmas coming up. I'm going to review in a little bit here. So I'm all, I'm in the Christmas spirit, man. You seem like it. <laughs> Just drinking them for the, the days. You got like four lined up for every podcast that we can I, do. You should see my fridge. I just... Uh, I just stocked up recently, and um, I'm ready, man. I'm ready for the – bring on the family because I got the boost. All right, let's get into the Camping World Bowl. It is Thursday, December 28th at 5.15. Our Virginia Tech Hokies taking on Oklahoma State. I, I love the time for this game. We talked about it when we were doing our, our bowl selection show at happy hour with the Hokies, just that 5 o'clock start, finish work, head right to the bar. Uh, the Hokey Pokey Bowl will be on, and I'm I'm excited about it, man. This is kind of a cool matchup, and both teams were nine and three this year. It's close in the rankings. We're, we were 22nd, they were 19th. We are 24th in the S and P. They were a little bit higher at 11th. Uh, we were 17th in Sagarin, 22nd in the AP. You know, we were on the back end of that top 25. We had three losses: Clemson, Miami, and Georgia Tech. Only one of those was at home. And that was to number uh, number one, Clemson. So I don't feel so bad about that. Whereas all of Oklahoma State's losses were at home. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I did want to run just through the uh, the overview of Tech season, and I think you would agree. The offense kind of struggled throughout the second half of the season, and the defense was very good, especially against the run. Yeah, I think that's exactly the. This is going to end up being an offense versus big offense versus big defense matchup, I think. And, um, you know, for us, I think that the the difference in the first half of the season and the second half of the season for the offense for us could partly be due to the opponents and probably a lot due to the opponents that we played and also partly due to things like was Cam injured? You know, Josh Jackson started to kind of play very, I don't, I don't know if people were scheming against him or he was just playing more like a, you know, like a young guy that things changed dramatically between the first six games and the last six games. But in the end, we end, we, we ended exactly where we thought we would be right. The, the, the most people picked nine and three. Most people picked us losing to Clemson and most people picked us. I picked us losing to either Georgia tech or Miami. We lost to both. And that was generally the consensus across, you know, some people were saying, oh, Pitt always gives us trouble, but I think we were able to handle that. Overall, the defense of this team is exceptional. Uh, it's, I think it's one of our top defenses in the last, I don't know, five to eight years that we've put out there. And the offense is growing. That's how, I would, you know, it's, it's learning 
And, you know, we're not, we're not losing that much at wide. We're losing a ton at wide receiver, but we're not losing that in how much we spread the ball around. And we spread the ball around more and more throughout the, the season, which is what you want to see in a team growing. Yeah, if I had to put my two biggest concerns for the team, one being on offense, is that Josh seemed to regress a little bit throughout the season. That could have been due to injury. That could have been the freshman wall. We're not really sure. But he did have his second-best QBR in the UVA game the last week of the season. On the defensive side, the most concerning thing was the giving up the big plays. It seemed to get us, regardless of opponent, even against UNC, they had guys streaking across the field, making big plays. We saw it in week one against WVU, and it didn't really go away completely. It got better. It's a good team. It's not a great team. And like you said, it was exactly where we thought we'd probably end up. The schedule wasn't tough, but we went out there and we beat the teams we were supposed to beat. Yeah. Outside of Georgia Tech that I think we should have won, I think that you know it wasn't that that big of a deal, and we pulled off one of the wins that we didn't weren't sure we were going to get, which was WVU. Oklahoma State uh, poses a, a big threat because of their likeness to WVU, and just for a little bit of background for people, they're from the Big Twelve. They've been a top twenty-five team in either the coaches or the AP poll seven of the last nine seasons. They're they're pretty much a perennial top twenty-five team these days. And they finished as high as number three in 2011. They're known for their high-octane passing attack. And they're, of course, coached by the mullet himself, Mike Gundy. He's been there since 2005 with a record of 113-53, and which is a 68% winning percentage. He's a good coach. And you have to keep in mind, those first couple seasons were rough. And since 2008, they've, they've been doing really well. Well, and yeah, in his second year, he was 40. I mean, he mentioned he <laughs> he let everybody know during 2007 that he was 40, and now he's 50. That's right, <laughs> and he's a man. Uh, he actually was a former Oklahoma State quarterback, which I guess I knew at some point, but I, I re-familiarized myself with that information recently. He was actually the all-time passing leader when he finished at Oklahoma State in the late 80s. He was on the teams with Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas, uh, had a couple bowl wins. He was a really good quarterback. And now he's third on the all-time passing list behind their current quarterback, Mason Rudolph, and Brandon Whedon is second place. But Mason Rudolph's lead is ridiculous. He's over 4,000 yards, their all-time leading passer. Yeah, I mean, talking about Gundy, you almost have to kick right into their offense. Given that coaching tree, what they do, even how it relates to Fuente himself, it's pretty incredible. Um Make no bones about it. Mason Rudolph is an exceptional talent, and he is—he's an absolute beast. He finished their record regular season: forty-five hundred yards, thirty-five touchdown passes. He had nine interceptions, which that's not a bad ratio. And how about a sixty-five percent completion percentage on the year? Given how much they're passing, that's um, pretty pretty exceptional. And it was all short yardage stuff because I think it was only one hundred and sixty yards total. I'm calling that off the top of my head, but he had 10 TDs on the ground on top of that. So 45 total touchdowns. Uh, Good job, Mason. Crazy, man. (laughs) I think that was second best. I think Baker had 46 and Rudolph had 45 when you combine passing Well, when Lamar Jackson, didn't he have 
wasn't he 48 last year? It was, like, it was a ton. But it was a high, so but that was his Heisman rushes. campaign. And Mason, and that included a total touchdowns. And Mason just put up 45. I'm, I think, I think he, Lamar was like 48 last year. Well, Rudolph uh, lost a bunch of awards to his in-state rival, Baker Mayfield, including the Heisman. But he did win the Johnny Unitas Award for the best senior QB, beating him out for at least one of the awards, which is good because his career deserves to be recognized in some way. He, he's absolutely in, insane. You were talking about this being strength on strength, and it absolutely is because our best unit is defense. Their best unit by far is offense and the exact reverse when we're on the offensive side of the ball. I am concerned about what we're going to do against Rudolph and this passing attack because he's got so many weapons. You look at, they got four receivers that have 500 yards or more, including the Bolitnikoff Award winner, James Washington. And we only had one guy who got over 500 yards receiving. And guess what? He's not playing in this game. Well, and it scares me, but... It's even worse than that because Washington and Aitman average 20 yards per catch. Oh, 20 yards per catch. So uh, on 1,400 yards, right, that's only, what, 70 catches? Like like some people that are putting up that many kind of numbers, it's like, you know, this guy must have had 110 catches and been, you know, 65 or 70% of their you know, passing offense, but no, they spread the ball around a little bit and it's, it's actually quite frightening. Yeah. Him and him and Aitman both went over a thousand yards, uh, 12 touchdowns for Washington, eight for Aitman. Jalen McCleskey, McCleskey's in there with five touchdowns himself. He's more of their slot guy. And then the fourth guy, I guess is uh stoner. Yeah. Stoner. Great name. Great name. <laughs> Five touchdowns for him as well. So four guys who can cause you problems, but those two deep threats in Aitman and Washington are really, really frightening, especially with our propensity to give up the big play. Yeah, and then obviously we have to feel good about the running back situation for them, right? But not really. Yeah. Uh, but then they also <laughs> have talent there. So it gets, yeah. it, it just keep the hits keep on. Justice Hill, 1,300 yards, 14 TDs. He was averaging five and a half a carry, which I think that's pretty good. If you just kind of keep running the ball, that'll that'll get you there. Um, and then J.D. King, 450 yards, obviously a big fall off there. But, you know, they also can run the ball a little bit because it's it just they, they focus on offense. But, you know, sadly, they their defense is not that bad for a big 12 team. Their offensive line is pretty solid, but it doesn't hurt that Rudolph gets rid of the ball so fast. But that run game that you're just talking about, it, that's a testament to that O-line as well. And I know we've already brought them up a couple times, but this seriously is the West Virginia offense, but way better. Like, that's that's what it is. It's more weapons. When you when you think about who West Virginia had, they could run the ball too, and they, they ran it quite well on us. And this is going to be that same type of thing in addition to a guy like David Sills. Well, there's your James Washington. David Sills finished third in that Blitnikoff Award. Washington won it. So this is a better version of West Virginia's offense is essentially what we have going on here. Uh, I think they only had a couple bad performances on the season. There was Texas, which held them to 
13 points. They lost, but they held him to 13 points, and that was an overtime game. That was out of left field. That it was a 14-13 game, I think. It ended up being and going yeah, into 13-10. Oh, okay, but it ended up, I think. And that came out of left field. That was a fluke game. Texas had a pretty good defense this year, but Definitely. they came out guns blazing against that did not happen for the rest of the year in any one of their games. Anybody keep them that low in, in point. I mean, that was ridiculous. And then you had TCU who held them to 31. But the interesting thing about both of those games and the third loss to Kansas state, which was their third lowest point total, not a coincidence, which was 40 all at home. That is so weird that a team as good as Oklahoma state would lose three games and only three games and have them all be at home yeah and the interesting part is that texas doesn't really have an offense this year didn't have an offense they had a pretty good defense kansas state the 950 year old man still knows how to coach a defense and tcu had the best defense in all of the big 12 and virginia tech has a pretty good defense so that's our (laughs) hey obi-wan it's our only hope is what we're like (laughs) kind of going with here yeah, if you wanted to take the 13 from Texas and the 31 from TCU and the 40 from Kansas State, average them together, that's 28 points. Our defense, I think, is good enough to match the average of those three defenses. Uh, that's that's kind of – I said something similar to this in our, in our bowl selection show, but I'm trying to create a framework for what the point totals are going to be, and I feel like that's a pretty decent way to do it. We are a damn good defense. On paper, if you want to look at S&P, we're better than all of these defenses. So could we hold hold them to under 20? It's possible. It's not likely, but yeah. it's possible. I think mid-20s to high-20s is probably more likely. Yeah, uh, and if they come out guns blazing and our secondary is not on their game and we're giving up big plays, because this is, this is one of the most, if you look at the S&P stats, it's the one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football right now because they can for the same reason that i said that their two top wide receivers are averaging 20 yards a catch which is ridiculous they they that is why they are the most explosive offense or one of the most explosive offense if we are giving up big plays repeatedly which we have done in a few different instances and now we have some damage in the secondary this could get ugly fast if we don't sure that up and we couldn't sure it up in in one of our games, and we had, you know, Edmonds on the field when that happened. Granted, we don't know what was going on there if he was already injured. Um, then it could be an ugly day if they're going over the top on us and we can't keep up. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, we don't want to get down early. That's for sure. And we'll we'll address some more of the keys to the game at the end. But let's switch over to the defense. And this is a subpar defense. And. And that's good because we have a subpar offense. <laughs> They've been better against the rush, similar to ours. Uh, they're only giving up three and a half yards per attempt there. But they're 70th in the S&P in defense and 57th in yards per play, 86th in scoring defense. It's you know it's a second half of FBS type of defense. I, and I said, I think in the other podcast as well, it's between like Pitt and Georgia Tech in terms of quality. Those aren't, those aren't great. And Pitt, hey – Credit to them, they played us tough. And, and Pitt was on the rise because they beat Miami the week after that. But that those are the types of defenses that I think mirror this one best in terms of quality. 
they are 30th in havoc rate, which is pretty good. I think that's because they're a little bit better on the defensive line. And their sack and TFL numbers, virtually identical to Virginia Tech. They face a few more plays because they're in the Big 12 and all the teams are running more tempo. So you have more opportunities to get tackles for loss and sacks, but not that much. They get 11% a tackle for loss on every tackle. We're at 13%. So it's pretty close. Yeah. I th- it's an experienced defense uh, that they have. It's it's filled with juniors and seniors. If they, a lot of the disappointment of Oklahoma State, uh, the fan base was that if they don't do it this year, it's a rebuilding. They're back to rebuilding, and they're going to have to try and make their march towards the playoff again. Um, you have, um, you know, Chad, uh, what is it, Whitner on linebacker. He leads them in tackles. You got two good safeties, Trey Flowers, Raymond Richards, that are leading in pass breakups. Couple, well, they have a good defensive end. Um, they have Osborne at defensive tackle, who's kind of a beast. He's got 11 tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. I think my overall takeaway after going through, whether it be stats or just kind of watching them, is it's more about what we put on the field than it's about them. I'm not as concerned, to your point, that this is an elite defense that's going to show up and cause a lot of problems. I'm a little bit more worried about us and injuries and what we are able to kind of put out on, on the field, right? Like we, we need to put Absolutely. something out that can beat them. Their offense that <laughs> has explosive enough that our defense has to play excellent is the way that I think about it. That if we put out a decent offensive performance and some of the young guys step up in the passing game, we find people's is back and, we can run and we can use jet sweeps and we can spread things out, then I feel better about beating their defense. Um, but on their side, we have to play the other side of the ball. We have to play a great game. Yeah. If we were fully stacked on offense, Trayvon and Cam and Savoy and had them all, I would feel a little bit better because I think we would be able to match that production. We put up week one against a West Virginia, but this is um, it's similar. They they rotate a ton of guys to defensive line, but in the back end, they're a little thin. There's susceptibility there just as much as we have on our back end. In fact, I was looking at the way the large plays from scrimmage like shook out. We give up big plays, 30 to 40 yards, at about the same rate as Oklahoma State, but they're in the bottom third of 10-plus yard plays, meaning – they consistently give up chunks of yardage, much more consistently than we do. We're one of the best teams at just the 10-plus. When it goes to 30, 40-plus, that's when we come back to where Oklahoma State is. So I think the way that works is actually perfect for our offense in general. I don't know how that offense is going to look, but I think the way Fuente designs it, those chunk plays, that, that middle-tier plays, like this suits our offense pretty well. It's just, is Josh going to be the Josh we saw in UVA in the first four games, or is he going to be what we saw in between, you know? And are the wide receivers going to grow up, right? I mean, it's a young group. I don't care any way you cut it. These guys have have not been out there for that long, and they very well could have a good day. It's, you know, their, their strength is the deep ball in passing, which is our technically our weakness on the on – the, our strength on the offense against their defense is is you know those short kind of you know chunkier plays versus the the deep ball. We haven't had that much success since Cam was healthy or at least going up for for deep balls and and bringing them down. 
So it's going to be extremely interesting. I would not want to be in Vegas putting a line on this thing. And if I did, I probably wouldn't put it at, I think it's what, four and a half? It's four and a half currently, yeah. Um, they must know something we'll, that we, we don't. We will pick against that spread for as meaningless as that will be. But uh, it, you're right. I, I would have a hard time making a spread for this game because admittedly on paper, it doesn't really look great for us. <laughs> it, no. it, it just doesn't. But when when you do look just a little bit deeper, like the stuff I was just talking about with our style of offense and their defense and the way they give up big plays, you can make a case – and hey, this podcast is about the Hokies, and we're going to make the case. We're going to be positive. We're going to make the case for the Hokies. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. Do you want to go keys to the game and then do a beer break? Yeah, let's um, let's do it. I, 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 I'm fine to go first. I think it depends sure, do it, man. on uh, Mason Rudolph will have at least one TD that's 40 yards or longer. The question for me is whether he's going to have three plus TDs that are 40 yards or longer. And if that happens, we're losing this game. If he, if he's able to air it out and our sec, that's going to show that our secondary is they have talent and their wide receivers. I mean, it's no, it's no indictment on our cornerbacks or our safeties. If they have a field day going deep, because that's what this team does. That's what the, that's why it was a, they predicated. They may have a run game now, but it's predicated upon an almost a. I won't go full air raid because this isn't like you know we're not at Texas Tech here. But yeah, it's, they run the ball they, too. Yeah, yeah, they they but they like airing out the ball and they like using the run to give them position to air out the ball. If I see a long couple passes that are that deep, if I see three to four of them, the game's over. Is how I would characterize it because it means our secondary isn't ready to defend them we have some injuries and we don't have our full squad out there i think if we find a way for the secondary to keep the ball in front of them and to to knock down passes i have no question that we could keep this team low scoring um because i think our our they have not seen a run defense like they will see in this game there is no run defense in the Big 12. And no defensive line uh, yeah. other than maybe Texas. Right. Well, even that. I mean, this is – this. Uh, honestly, I have so much confidence in our run defense that if that's if that's the case, then and, – and guess what? Rudolph only has 150 yards on the year. He's not – he's not, you know, hauling off Running, 50 yards. Runs. Yeah, his all his touchdowns are on short yardage and it's goal line stuff. So if we can keep – the ball in front of us in the backfield that will make me feel good about our chances to win. And then um, we'll see who shows up on the depth yeah. chart for our, well, I think what'd you call it before it was uh break, but don't bend defense. Yeah. That's kind of what we've been playing and it's okay to have a break like here and there, not too much. You need to limit those plays. And then when it gets in the red zone, you need to get tough. That's exactly what Texas did to Oklahoma State. They let Oklahoma State in the red zone, but they turned them over in there. They held them to a field goal, which they missed. You have to do that. And that's something Tech's been doing. I mean, we're the third best defense in terms of red zone scoring percentage. We are very good in the red zone. You saw us break but not bend against Pitt right at the end of the game. That's kind of been our style all year. It's just that you have to give up 
like you said, less of the 40-yard plays. And then once they happen, you need to get back together and focus. Get off the field on third down. And you already alluded to it, the young guys at wide receiver. They have to step up. Kuma, TJ Carroll coming back would be nice. Grimsley, who just had a great game against UVA. Get him back in there. Uh, Cunningham, Keen at defense, at uh, tight end, rather. Need some production from them, too. That would be nice. That one Cunningham play we get per game, make it count in this one. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that that's going to be... It's going to be huge. We'll see what we can produce on offense. And I don't think it's indicative of what we see next year whatsoever. But I I do think it'll be... I, I hate to see Cam out of the game, but I think this is an opportunity for the young guys to show what they can do. And you either show it here or or you got to wait till next year because otherwise you're just going to lead to a bunch of questions in the offseason. Off this is your chance to to truly shine because the all-time leading receiver in Virginia Tech history is not playing in this game. So step up. Yeah. Same goes for McLeese and Holston at running back. You know, we have people's hopefully healthy. Let him pound away. But those other guys, they played well against UVA too. So let's see that rushing attack. Let's let's hit Pete's benchmarks of 150-plus and four yards of carry. If you do that in this game, I really think it'll be enough of a keep away to win because you do need to play a little bit of keep away and grind the clock in this game more than Fuente would probably like to do normally. Last takeaway is just this is a good game for Virginia Tech. It's a bad game for us in a matchup sense. This is a good game if you're looking towards next year and trying to make a statement. If you win this game, eyebrows are going to raise because people are still, regardless of the season, very high on Oklahoma State. They are filled with juniors and seniors. They are exceptionally talented. They have an, a ton of talent. They have a QB that is amazing. You number win. one in passing. Yeah. Number one in receiving. Like they, they have both of those players. You're right. It would be a very much an eyebrow raising game for sure. So that's why it's fun because in all honesty, I want to win, but bowl games don't matter, but they do matter when you win sometimes against teams that you technically, we should not win this game and we may. Momentum is important for programs, and I don't think that even if we were to lose in ugly fashion, it would really matter. But I, it helps. It helps just a little bit. Maybe that recruit you visit in May, they're like, oh, yeah, that team, they beat Oklahoma State. That was a pretty good win. You, you just never know what impact a win like this could have. And the 10-win thing, you can use that as a recruiting tool. We get to 10 wins again in Fuente's second year. If we want to go back to the Clemson thing, early in Dabo's career, he got blown the hell out by West Virginia in the Orange Bowl. And it didn't really impact the long-term trajectory of Clemson. So if we were to get blown out, folks, don't anyone overreact because that can happen. I don't think we're going to get blown out. I, I do think the defense is going to step up enough to uh, to keep us in the game. If nothing else, you should just be happy and excited, which I am. Honestly, we're the season's over. To see Bud Foster go up against an a, an offense of this caliber, like that's fun. Like, forget your Virginia Tech alliance for two minutes and just be excited to see. Bud Foster came out today and said, this is one of the most high-powered offenses that I've ever gone up against. Granted, that some of that's coach speak. 
you look in the numbers and it's not that far off. <laughs> like <laughs> this is an incredible offense. It should be fun to watch. Um, and if he gets blown out, then, you know, good for Gundy. I mean, I think there's a better chance of us winning than us getting blown out, if that makes sense. So the great, the greatest chance is that the game's within, you know, 10 points. But the, the, on the two outside spectrums, if you had to put it at 30% chance of Tech winning, 20% chance of getting blown out, and then, you know, the rest of that's somewhere in the 10-point range. All right, let's do a beer break and then make our picks. All right, you're up. What are you drinking over there? I'm having the Anchor Brewing Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's their uh, 2017 edition of this beer. It is absolutely delicious. It's a little bit on the sweeter side, 6.7% alcohol, but very dark and very good. You've probably seen the the Anchor Brewings in the stores. It's the one with the big Christmas tree. What are you having? Just because of the podcast, I went back and, well, when I popped into the beer store, they had another uh, Omnipolo beer. Uh, this one's the Lustro. I don't know if you've had this. but um, I have not, but that sounds great. Well, because I'd had a little bit of the Nebuchadnezzar. I had a little bit of the one that I was actually drinking and uh, at the at the recording, which I'm pretty sure I didn't mess that up. I'm pretty sure he did, but whatever the case may be. Uh, and then I saw this, so I decided to go with it. This has got and also a very cool artwork. Uh, it's also delicious. It's an Imperial IPA, eight uh, percent, you know, from Sweden, and it's it's fantastic. These guys know their stuff, so I can't say enough about them. If you see one of their beers, this is canned. Uh, it comes almost in one of like the sixteen ounce pounders, but uh, style, but it's only uh, twelve ounces, so keeps uh keeps the devils at bay and uh you can uh you can sip and enjoy it's really really good have you noticed the increasing amount of four packs in stores and i don't and not just four packs but i'm starting to see the 12 ounce can four packs and it's kind of pissing me off because they still put it at 10 12 15 bucks and it's like okay you're gonna sell me a four pack at least sell me the 16 ounce, which most of them do. Like the craft breweries, a lot of them put out the four packs of the 16. Yeah, the 16 ounces. That's that's okay. But today I went to the beer store and it's like half of the four packs are 12 ounces. This, that's what this like, was. This was a four pack of uh, 12 ounces. So, so you know, annoying, I'm, man. I'm, I'm missing out on eight ounces uh, or no, 16 ounces of beer. So uh, I'm I'm not very happy about that. But or 24 if it was you know a six pack of 12 ounces that's, as, it, that's as right. it initially was. But it's just everyone's cutting back. And once someone realized, oh, you know what, we only have to sell beers in four packs. Yeah, I don't think that's what it is. They're increasingly throwing more and more expensive hops into these beers and like more that's expensive true. flavors. Um, but and, a lot of yeah, these breweries of are it, making part money of is, hand over fist. Yeah, part of it is the prices are going up for the good stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. Part of it is. You know, you look at some of the hops that they're putting in. It's especially happening, to your point, on the Imperials, on the New England style. These guys are just throwing in, like, massive amounts of, like, really expensive ingredients. Relative. Really expensive is all relative, right? It still costs them 99 cents to make a beer, and they sell it for, you know, whatever. Or, you know, less than that. 50 cents to make a beer, and they sell it for $2, $3, or, you know, on tap for $6. I agree with you. 
Um, so I think it's a mix of people going over the top with the ingredients and also the price is going up because they yeah, can't gonna hop it. up your beer big time. It's going to cost you more money to make it. But like you said, it's still a fraction of what they ultimately will charge you. Um, in any case, I just thought that was interesting when I was just out. It's like, man, why are all these four packs like 15 bucks and they're only 12 ounces? All right, let's pick the games. Virginia Tech against Oklahoma State. We said it earlier, four-and-a-half-point line. Oklahoma State, number 19, is the favorite. Virginia Tech at 22. What do you think, man? I'm going to ask you first. Make it tough on you. Oh, that's not fun. Um, I, I, I have to go Oklahoma State for four-and-a-half. I think Bud can keep them... Low, or at least you know, lower than I would expect in a game like this. Um, that's balancing a few things. One, Oklahoma State. I don't think they were really excited to play this game. I think they had aspirations to make the playoff. They didn't. They they shit the bed, and now there's not going to be a lot of incentive. Their offense is way too high powered um, for anybody. Uh, but three is I don't know what we're putting out on the field in terms of offense. <laughs> so. That's, I think even in a bad game, they could score 30 to 35 and trying to figure out how we're going to come up with 30 to 35 is a little bit challenging for me right now with who's out. Yeah, it's very challenging. I'm going to take tech against the points anyway, and I'm really glad you didn't. So I could, because it's, it's the time of year for hope and I want oh, hope Jesus. for my Hokies Sorry. to pull, pull out this victory. No, I mean, all the things I said earlier about the defense and can we keep them to 28 points? Like, 28's the the tipping point for me because if they get to 30, I don't think we have any chance of winning. But if the, if we can keep them at 28, I, I, I see a glimmer of hope. If we can keep them at 24, that hope goes way up. In terms of just the four-and-a-half-point spread, I'm going to take us because I think we can get to that 20-23 mark, and we're going to hopefully keep them in that mid-20s area. So I, uh, against my better judgment, maybe I'm going to take Tech against the spread. I just I do think our defense is just better than anything they've seen. So I'm curious as to how that plays out. Now, everyone says this is a nightmare matchup for the way Bud likes to play defense. And that very well may be true. I'm just going to take us against those four and a half and hope for the best. Next game is the Belk Bowl. Texas A&M against Wake Forest. My Damon Deacons are three-point favorites, actually. This is on December 29th. We were just there last year. We had a good time down there. Is Jimbo coaching this? (laughs) I have no idea what's going on with this. Maybe, but I, I'm surprised about Wake being favored just just because it's a you know a big name SEC program with the new coaching hire and everything. But I'm taking Wake Forest it, before you can. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be there with, right with you in a second here. I, what about Texas A&M has you know really blown your skirt up this year? No, nothing. I think the right. the. I think the only thing is the energy that kind of just got pumped into the program might have some incentive. That's it. A and, lot of fanfare for that. Hunt. Yeah. So I don't know if he's actually coaching this game. If that was the case, then that might skew me. 
but I'm, I'm assuming he's not coaching this game. They have an assistant. I have, I have no clue. So I'm going to go I'm, Wake Forest just because I actually just want to undercut you on choosing Wake Forest. <laughs> I mean, the quarterback for Wake Forest, John Walford, had a fantastic season. Really good player, even after they lost their best receiver in Dorch. I just think they're going to get it done. They're in their home state of North Carolina. That could play into a little bit. They'll probably have a few more fans there, although I'm sure Texas A&M will, will travel decently well. We'll see, but I'll take them. Next game, Sun Bowl in El Paso, NC State against Arizona State. <laughs> Herm Edwards <laughs> going to El Paso and going to face uh, face the Wolfpack. They're actually ranked at NC State, number 24, and they're six-and-a-half-point favorites. I, I can't help but laugh because Arizona State hired Herm Edwards. <laughs> I mean, I I can't I can't do this. I'm going NC State because Herm Edwards. Yeah, I mean, and let's we had Doran sticking around, you know, saying no to Tennessee on their job, and their quarterback is pretty good at NC State. They got Naheem Hines. I I do like that team more. I think they can win by a touchdown. Tax Slayer Bowl in Jacksonville on the thirtieth. Louisville against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is ranked, although uh, Nick Fitzgerald, their quarterback, broke his leg in disgusting fashion against Ole Miss. Uh, I'm taking Louisville minus those seven points. They have been rocking and rolling. A big change from last year and where they just played terrible down the stretch. I'm going to take them to win this bowl in Jacksonville this year. And Mississippi has a new coach as well. They hired uh, Moorhead from Penn State, the Penn State offensive coordinator. Um, I'm going to go with Louisville. I'm going to go with Lamar and just wait tomorrow. Lamar's going to say he's not playing in the, in the bowl game and <laughs> we're going to look like idiots. Um, but I think, uh, I'm going to go with Louisville. That would ruin a lot of Vegas picks for everyone. If Lamar decided not to play. Yeah. All right. Next game, New York six game, the orange bowl. Wisconsin against Miami. Wisconsin's number six and Miami's number 10. And Wisconsin, touchdown favorites in this one. I'll go first again. I'll take Miami. And I'm not basing it on the ACC championship game performance. Let me say that. I, I think the layoff will do Miami good. I think that's a. it's still a good team. Their top end is, is right there with a lot of other really good teams. And Wisconsin... I still have questions. You know, they they played Ohio State pretty tough in that game. Ohio State's damn good. They almost had an undefeated season, but they weren't really tested up until that point. They very well may win. I think Miami will keep it closer. Yeah, I agree. I'm going Miami. That's uh, Wisconsin's got a great defense. Miami's got a great defense. Turnover chain, man. I didn't. I didn't. You got to cut that out. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the college football playoff is the last two games we're going to pick. The Rose Bowl in Pasadena, Georgia against Oklahoma. Georgia is the favorite. Even though they're the lower seed, they're one-and-a-half-point favorites, which pretty much makes this a pick em, But do you want to go first? I, I think I went first in the last couple, so you go. This is tough. Um, and in two completely different well, we, I think we talked about it a little bit. So Georgia's got the run game. I mean, they and they have an exceptional run game, like far better than are sick. they're probably better than any of the other three teams in the playoff in terms of running the ball. 
Their pass game is suspect, absolutely. And it's not bad, but it's extremely suspect. Oklahoma's pass game is out of this world because somebody just won the Heisman Trophy and wasn't even in contention. People knew six games in advance that he was going to win it. And Oklahoma also has a pretty decent under-the-radar run game. I think what's going to end up happening here is I think it's going to be a Georgia physicality type situation. Um, the way that they've been recruiting, if you're looking at what their recruiting rankings are this year, that's not much different than what they're putting up every year. They're top five, top three, almost every single year. I think the physicality that Georgia's going to bring out uh, is going to give them that W. Granted, Baker Mayfield can throw on any defense in the entire country. There's no doubt. But what Georgia did in some of their big marquee games was they managed, it wasn't their run game, it wasn't their offense, but their defense managed to shut people down when it really came down to it. And they found unique ways to do it, and I think that's what's going to happen in this game. So I know, who knows, Baker will put up 500 yards and I'll look like an idiot, but I think Georgia's going to pull this out. I look at two things when it comes to like the last couple games and the, the college football playoff. It's best quarterback and defense. You know, Defense wins championships. Last year, the best quarterback was Deshaun Watson, and they may or may not also have had the best defense at Clemson. Alabama probably was the best defense. This year, Baker is by far the best quarterback. Georgia may or may not be the best defense, but it's damn good. I'm going to take the quarterback. I'm going to take Baker Mayfield in this game. Oklahoma has been hot as all hell the last couple weeks. Uh, I know there's a layoff and all and all that, but I just think the young quarterback for Georgia from it's 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 hard to be in this spot in his shoes. I like Baker's experience. He's been to the playoff before. I think Oklahoma pulls off a shootout. Next game, Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Alabama against Clemson. Clemson. The rematch from Clemson. the championship game the last two years. Oh, oh, you already picked. Done. Okay. Can you believe that Alabama's the favorite? Um. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, like, this comes back. This comes back to what lines are intended for. Lines are intended to match money, not match performance. So, yeah, yeah being minus two and a half and it, taking a step back and figuring out the line is trying to spread money evenly on either side of the line. That makes perfect sense. This Clemson team um, is not exceptional, but they're good. Dabo is. He's on the up and up of being able to coach people and uh, make them feel like an underdog. He's doing, it's funny, everybody credits Saban for his ability to like find little things that'll give his team an edge that make them feel like they're the underdog, even though they are. Rat poison, you stupid idiot, you make the dumbest comments type thing. Um, Dabo is doing the same thing. He's, he's learned the game just as well as, not just as well, but over time I think it'll play out that well. He's learned the game just as well as Saban has, which is he finds ways to incentivize his players. He's recruiting at a high level. He's in, He's got them excited about the program. Uh, I think Clemson pulls that game out again. I don't think Alabama's as talented as they were last year. No, I don't think they nearly are as talented as they were last year, except on maybe the offense, but the defensive side last year was exceptional. And I think they took a little step back this year, which isn't saying much for them, but I think it's going to be Clemson pulling it out. 
um, and covering the two and a half, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's whether or not the two and a half makes it an easy pick for Clemson for me. But I was thinking Clemson was going to win outright anyway. So I'm taking Clemson. Their defense is just ridiculous. And when they want to play at their top level, <laughs> look what just happened in the ACC title game. It, it's it's It was no contest against an extremely talented Miami team. Bama's going to give them a little bit more run than, than Miami did, but they are going to come out and they're going to win that game. And it, and it, I, I, I still don't understand the line, regardless of, I guess so many people are on Bama. I don't know, but this seems like an easy pick to me. I think it's going to be Clemson, Oklahoma in the championship. And I think Clemson's going to win it all again, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, you had to look forward to, uh, I mean, not to speculate too much, but you look forward to them against an Oklahoma game. Oklahoma's got to have a lot of incentive in that game because of what happened last time. Clemson yeah, absolutely true. dismantled them. Uh, against a Georgia team, Georgia does not stand a chance against Clemson. <laughs> that's not even, like, yeah. that's not an exaggeration. Like, that is, if there was a defense that I would put up against Georgia's offense, they, they're going to stifle them and embarrass them. So... Oklahoma has a right. shot. The Oklahoma at least can throw the ball deep. They, you know, they got Baker. They got they got more options. Georgia doesn't have a shot against. That's a them. really good point. Is because Oklahoma does stand a better chance against against Clemson. You're right. And I'm if if my picks were to hold true and Oklahoma did play Clemson, that would be an awesome game. Yeah, especially with the rematch after the blowout before. I mean, I'd love it. That'd be an awesome game. All right, buddy. So, I mean, I guess that's it. Unless you want to pick JMU over North Dakota State. <laughs> uh, JMU's going to win. Okay. No, I mean, they're North Dakota State's an amazing team. I mean, JMU hasn't lost a game in like 20 games, 30 games, something. So. Well, and their coach just got, I think he just got a five, 10 year extension. Um, no, JMU's doing well. They, uh, they're a good team. It's a different type of team than you see at the FBS level be but I'm sure I mean North Dakota State they won what five in a row or something like right. that that's a fun that's a fun game to watch if you're not watching that yeah, then, those are the two like powers of FCS yeah. going if you're not watching that then you just don't like football or college football because it's those are fun games those are going to be really good games and, and then it's in between it's on um Saturday January 6th is the FCS title game there's so nothing else on TV that. for that so if not you're just pissed off about when JMU beat Virginia Tech and get over it <laughs> my girlfriend went to JMU talked about that many times so i will be watching that's for sure i'm excited about the bowl hopefully tech shows up and hopefully they pull off the win if nothing else i i don't want to get embarrassed but as i tried to state my case earlier even if we lose by three touchdowns it's not the end of the world all right 2dvt.com is the website Check all the stats and beers. Stream every podcast on there. 2dvt at gmail.com if you have any comments you want to send us personally. And then uh, 2dvt on Twitter. Hit us up. Any questions, comments, pictures, videos, whatever you want to send us, we'll always respond. And until next time when we're recapping the bull, go Hokies. Go Hokies.